This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or your computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating a podcast today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. And when you want to take conversations with your fans to the next level, Q&A and polls are the best way to get them talking. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I love engaging with my audience with the Q&A and the polls. And I also love the fact that I can upload my video podcast on Spotify because I know my audience love watching it sometimes when they're traveling on their commute. I highly recommend you give it a try and you can download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com forward slash podcasters to get started. So I grew up quite anxious, but I didn't realise it at the time because you normalise anxiety when you live in a war zone. When we struggle and when we're having a difficult time, it's very, very easy to blame it on life, other people, this happened, that happened. And I think we have to get much better at differentiating the difference between mental health disorders, which are diagnostic, measured against actually everyday mental wellness. I mean, the mental health hashtag has been overused at the moment. Everything's hashtag mental health. And at one level, it's great that we're opening up the conversations. I think where I do struggle, and I say this as a mental health professional, is I struggle when I see the mental health hashtag being used as a brand or as a means of growth, or as a means of getting more followers, or as a, whatever the context may be. Because when you see acute mental health, or when you're treating somebody who is acutely unwell, it's not a sexy hashtag. That having a bad day, yes. or going through a tough time, does not mean that you have a mental health disorder. Yes. It means that you're a human being who might be struggling with aspects of their mental wellness, but I think we have to really start differentiating more, because my concern is, that if we start labeling everything mental health, what we actually do is we dilute the importance of people who really do need help and support. Owen. Hello. Welcome to Millennial Mind. Thank you. Very, very happy to have you here today. Yeah, I'm delighted to be here. I feel it's gonna be a very eye-opening conversation for me. I hope so. Um, It's something, mental health is something that I kind of intertwine in all the episodes in the podcast. Mm. But I think some of the things you speak about, some of the things you've written about, I felt have been really revolutionary, actually. So I'm really excited to talk to you about them good, today. Good. So for people who don't know you, give us a little bit of an introduction sure, about so who, what you do and why you I am, what I do. Yeah. yeah so I'm Owen okay, and I'm a psychotherapist by background, and I'm a former NHS clinical lead for mental health. Mm-hmm. I've written three books. My latest book, How to Be Your Own Therapist come out about eight weeks ago mm-hmm. and I do a lot of work mainly around promoting better mental well-being mm-hmm. that's the kind of the main core of my work I still have a clinical practice right. um, and my background was split half of my background was in health mm-hmm. and I specialized in palliative care so the first half of my career I worked with people who were terminally ill wow. and then retrained as a psychotherapist in the second half of my career because I realized I didn't really have the skills to deal with psychological distress. So I went off and did my psychotherapy training and that then just brought me off in a completely different direction. Got an opportunity to write a book about four years ago. Right. That book did incredibly well. It's called Ten to Zen and then off the back of that, the second book mm-hmm. and the third book. And I guess really my work now, I still see it like I'm doing my job, yeah. but I'm just using a very different platform to reach more people who may not access help mm. or may not know how to access help. So I guess really I feel like I'm just doing my job but in a different way. I love that. that I always think people who uh, work in the NHS, a lot of them have from a young age always known that they've wanted to help people. Mm. Where do you think that came from for you? 
That's a good question. I mean, for me, my my upbringing was was quite difficult, so it wasn't an easy upbringing. And when I I often talk really openly about my own story because I think you can't you can't do these jobs and you can't be on these platforms unless you're willing to be really truthful about your own stuff. I so I grew up in Northern Ireland during a period called the Troubles, um, which is probably where I learned most about anxiety. So it's basically during that period when there was all the bombs and bullets, and so I grew up quite anxious, but I didn't realise it at the time because you normalize anxiety when you live in a war zone. Yeah. Um, but I was also gay, which I, I didn't come out until my early 20s, but being gay in Ireland at that time was incredibly difficult. There was a lot of judgment and shaming and stuff. So I guess really by the time I got into early adulthood, there were two key things really around fear right. and, and around coming to terms with myself and not really liking myself very much, to be quite yeah. honest, when I was younger. Um, so that was kind of my, my, my backstory, really. But I guess off the back of it, I went in to, I thought I'd go into a caring profession, which is kind of what I wanted to do, really. It was just a natural progression. I trained to be a priest for a couple of years <laughs> in my early 20s. Don't even go there. Um, that led me into palliative care work. And I ended up specialising right. in that for nearly 10 years. And that was working with people who were dying, which I know sounds like it, it's heavy and mm -hmm. intense and actually wasn't. It was the most incredible 10 years of my career because right. you learn a lot about what makes a better life. How do we get the best from our life? How do we live more fully? Yeah. But interestingly, during that work, I realized that a lot of people in the process of dying were psychologically distressed right. and I didn't feel equipped to deal with it. So I went off and did a master's in psychotherapy, retrained mm -hmm and then became a clinical leader in mental health and then randomly got an opportunity to write a book, which just happened. Amazing. I did a talk, someone said, you need to write a book. And I said, yeah, it's a good idea. Thought about it and long story short, I was introduced to a publisher and this sequence of events happened and the book got published and did incredibly well and the rest is history really. So that's a kind of whistle stop tour yeah. through my career really. But I, I love what I do and I mm -hmm. really am passionate about people getting the best from their lives and people living fully and I, I think a lot of people don't I, I think a lot of people really struggle and I think a lot of people get in their own way and don't realize they're doing it and a big part of my work and this is sometimes a bit controversial and it's a bit difficult but when we struggle and mm -hmm. when we're having a difficult time it's very very easy to blame it on life other people this happened that happened and a lot of that might be true right a lot of it might be true and it might contribute to why we struggle. But actually the biggest reason we struggle is how we approach our lives. Yes. And sometimes people find that really difficult and that's not blaming the individual, but it's about empowering people to realize that no matter how terrible it's been or how difficult it's been, you have power within you, more power than you realize to change that. So I guess really the book, you know, How to Be Your Own Therapist is about using your story to empower you. Mm. I don't know if you've read The Choice. Heard of it, but haven't read it. In The Choice, she says, no one can be a victim unless you allow them to victimize yeah. you. Yeah. And, you know, it's, a, it's an incredible book and she's talking about how she was in a concentration camp and it's all about how she used her mind to not allow other people to yeah. control her mindset yeah. and her destiny. Yeah. And I think that element of personal responsibility is almost a shock for people when you say to them, you know, really you tough. can change it. Mm. And I often see this a lot with people on social media when they're saying, I am so stressed, I am so this, it's so difficult. And it's like, it is your choice. It's your responsibility and it is your choice. If you want something to change in your life, you have to change something. I think the difficulty is, I mean, and to be fair, when you're, when you're highly anxious or your mood's quite low, mm -hmm. it's very easy to fall into uh, a position where you become almost comfortably uncomfortable yes if that makes sense and it becomes really familiar because yes. it's like oh this this is how i feel and actually it can feel a bit safer to mm. stay there because it's like well this is familiar i know it so true. and even though it might feel horrible it's comfortable mm. and it's familiar and i think for a lot of people they can fall into the trap of staying there and i guess really i think a large part of my work is to kind of very gently encourage people to say you don't need to stay here oh my god it's so true one of my friends she was suffering with um, something at the time and it was her sister actually and she kept saying you know she just doesn't get out of this rut and the second that she does mm. it's almost like it's so unfamiliar to her that she goes back yeah. and for a lot of people in that moment they think there's also an element of guilt right so if you mm. are for example depressed about something and someone has passed away mm. and you feel a little bit of happiness 
then you feel mm. I've forgotten about them. Yeah, yeah. They no longer matter to me. And it's almost more comfortable to stay in that notion of understanding and like you know being absorbed with that grief yeah. and feeling really upset yeah. than to actually come out of it because you almost have like a guilt. Yeah, there's guilt. Yeah, I think it, you see that a lot actually with grief. Mm. And I, I did a lot of you know a large part of my work with grief. Mm. It's certainly the early part of my career, and you do see that uh, there's always a, a sense of good of it. If I do start to feel better again, yes. or if I have happier moments, what what does that mean? Yeah. But I think it also can happen as well in periods of you know if you've had a breakup or. Yeah again god if i start to feel happy again did that did that mean i didn't love them in the first place so i think our you know i think the incredible thing about our minds are that our minds can create stories yes definitely. really create stories and mm -hmm. we don't realize that our minds do that and most people i meet when they come to therapy they talk about their life and all of these difficult things that go on but then they start to talk about the way they think yeah and and i'm always fascinated about you know about how people talk about their thoughts like they are an actual fact and they become identified with them and then suddenly you start working with people and you think you do realize that most of what goes on here is is rubbish yeah it's not our that. brains create stories particularly when we're anxious they will create narratives they'll create stories often exaggerated often fear-driven and people engage with the story like it's a truth and when you start to work with people and think, actually, do you know, you can let a lot of this go. These are just old patterns that then come with a story. Right. And the brain is very clever at creating stories. And you can learn to observe and think, OK, here's my catastrophic mind. Here's my judgmental mind. Here's my fearful mind. And there is real power there when you begin to watch all of these parts of your mind. I was talking about this recently. Um, I did a TED talk mm -hmm. um, a couple of months ago. And the day I did the TED talk, I stood the side of the stage and I was the first one to go on, which is always a tough gig to open a show. And um, and I stood at the side of the stage and I was just about to go on mm -hmm. and do the talk. And literally about 30 seconds before we were going live, I could hear my critic yes. starting to come out mm -hmm. really loudly. It was fascinating to observe and to question why are you here? Wow. Should you be doing this? There are other people out there who are probably better. And I, it was fascinating to watch that judgment and this kind of narrative play out. Mm. Now, I'm familiar with it. I know what it is. Yes. I've, I've heard it a million times in my life. And and I was conscious that that part of me had moved in just about, you know, just before I was about to give a talk. And I thought, yes. well, I can either get crippled by that mm -hmm. and listen to a narrative or I can face it head on. So what I did was when I was doing the talk, wasn't part of the talk. I made a decision to talk about that wow. and to mention the fact that, you know, that these moments happen that can almost come in to sabotage these moments. And the more skilled you can become at recognizing you're not your critic, yes. you're not the judge, you're not the catastrophizer, mm -hmm. you're not that part of you that tells you that you're rubbish and not good enough. These are simply patterns that play out that you learn to engage with and you become familiar with and then start to take them as a fact yes. where actually the more you get to know these parts of you and realize okay i can let that go absolutely there's where your power comes and then suddenly you're liberated and i think you come alive in a very very different way and for me that's the exciting part of my work mm. is to watch people come alive in a very very different way storytelling is in incredibly powerful and what you've just said really resonates with me because often when i'm going through a really bad time I pretend that I'm talking about it in a therapy session. Mm. So whenever in that situation, what you said it wasn't part of your talk, you then go on stage and you tell everyone about it and suddenly it's not scary. Yeah. And for me, whenever I'm going through a really bad situation or I have this horrible feeling in my stomach, I say to myself, okay, so why are you upset, Shivani? Mm. And I genuinely pretend I'm in a therapy session yeah. and 99% of the time I find the answer. Yeah. Because a you lot could of have written my book. You're doing your, <laughs> you're doing your own therapy. You're being your own therapist. No, but I learned but that, that you are. It's incredible. It's yeah. an incredible skill to have. And I and I learned that once when I was so desperate to speak to someone, and I spoke to a therapist. And I remember on my, th I only had three or four sessions with him. And I remember on my third session, I spoke the whole time, and he said, "You've literally just answered everything." Because I would say to him, "I know I'm feeling like this, but I know it's because I'm anxious." And actually, it's nothing for me to be worried about because naturally I feel this way. And often these thoughts, but and he was looking at me and he was thinking, 
okay, and I was quoting all these philosophers because I was doing all this reading yeah, at the time. Yeah, and yeah. I was like, I read this book and I understand the situation, I'm a parent, but also often I can be a child and I think that's a good thing. And, yeah, yeah. and he was looking at me and he said to me, Shwani, I think you just need to reflect sometimes. Yeah. You really need to start talking to yourself as in pretend you're talking to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I learned that habit very, very early on. And now, sometimes when I'm feeling upset about something, I will call someone and I will say, look, I understand this is irrational and this is how my mind goes. But I did feel upset in that moment, but I just wanted to let you know yeah. that I'm not upset. But in that moment, the reason I was silent was because this was going through my mind. Yeah. And how I play it back to myself is I pretend I'm on a podcast, I pretend I'm in a therapy session, or I pretend I'm on stage talking about it as an experience rather than what's happening to me now. Okay. And automatically it makes me feel you'll get over it. Yeah, it's happened. You said something really powerful there about that you know that feeling that you get mm. sometimes in your stomach or mm -hmm. knots in your stomach that physicality that we yes. all get yes. sometimes when we're struggling and I think I talked about this today actually on Instagram um, where sometimes we get a feeling that comes in quite strong it could yes. be anxiety mm -hmm. it could be fear it could be guilt yes. shame it could be a number of things really but often these emotions come in you're really you. you're overwhelming like a wave they come and they're strong and I think Often what we do is when the difficult emotions come in, what we try and do is we, we, we immediately react negatively to them. 100%. And that reaction is, oh, I don't want to feel this way. Oh, my God, something must be wrong. Mm -hmm. How can I get rid of this? How can I move this on? And I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that we make, particularly with negative emotions, because we, we, we see them as a bad thing. Yes. So all the energy goes into how can I get rid of it quickly? There must be a problem when actually one of the most powerful things you can do is when these emotions move in, you just really create openness around it. You create curiosity around the fact, okay, mm -hmm. I'm anxious at the moment. Yes. What does that part of me need? Yeah. So rather than see it as a problem, or rather than see it as a bad thing, or rather than try and push it away, because actually in resisting it, what you do is you charge it up even more. So what you're doing is you're learning to work with the emotions and they got okay, look, we wouldn't do that if we were happy. Yes. You know, when we're happy and when we're on top of the world and things are brilliant, we wouldn't put energy into trying to push it down or get rid of it. Yes. We want to attach to it. We want to hold on to it. But yet all of the other stuff like the anxiety, the fear, the worry, the, the doubt, whatever the emotion is, these emotions are really important because they're trying to communicate. Yes. So, for example, anxiety is a powerful one. If I experience anxiety in my life and I feel that knot in my stomach mm. or I feel uneasy or whatever the context might be, Often it's trying to communicate something to me about, okay, you need to slow down mm. or you need to balance things out a bit better or you need to reevaluate. So rather than see it as a bad thing, yes. I see it almost like a, a wake up call 100%. or a barometer saying, okay, time to reevaluate. And the same example in physical health, pain. Of course it is. When you experience pain, yeah. your body is telling you something is wrong. Absolutely. Check it out. Yeah. If you were getting chest pains, you wouldn't just ignore them. Of course you wouldn't. If you were bleeding in your gums, you wouldn't just yeah. ignore it. You'd yeah. go see your dentist. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it's so interesting you say that because in the physical world, sorry, in physical health, everyone always says pain is the greatest teacher. Yeah. And it's your body indicating to you that something is wrong. And when you have anxiety, it's also your body indicating to you that something is feeling wrong. So what is that feeling? Yeah. How can you actually uncover what that root cause is absolutely or it can be just about you know it can even be more simple than that it can be that maybe you need to slow it down a little bit exactly. maybe you need to to kind of reevaluate the way you're approaching your life or how you're thinking or yes. the way you're seeing the world mm -hmm. so i think if we can be curious and even that instant i mean it's incredible you should try this i mean i do it all the time the moment this happens again when a difficult emotion comes in the in the initial reaction will be oh god this is wrong or why is this happening so it's a it's a negative response to the emotion right and the moment you can spot that you're doing that and think mm -hmm. okay i'm not going to go that direction i'm going to allow this to be okay mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the moment you kind of think all right you're here it's almost like a you know bringing a guest into your house the moment you think okay you're you're here whatever you're here i'm not sure why you're here but you're here and that's completely okay Incredibly, you almost notice the anxiety beginning to drop off mm. because you've given it space to breathe. You've acknowledged it. Mm -hmm. You've allowed it to be present. And I guess we, we've got to we've got to do that with all of the emotions. And I think, look, every client that comes into my room that I work with will, you know, everyone comes in and they 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 want the good things in life and they want to be happy and they want to be successful and they want to have a brilliant relationship and all of that. Understandably so. 
but most of them when they come in and talk about the the difficult emotions and you say okay what what, what do you do with those emotions yeah 99.9% of the time they're like oh i want to get rid of them i push them away or i don't like it or i don't want it but actually you're losing something incredibly valuable because they're all part of this you know, rich tapestry of life. Yes. They're there to help you. They're not getting in the way of your life. And the more you get comfortable with them, yes. the easier it gets. Even even emotions like despair mm. are feeling hopeless. You know, they're difficult and they're heavy and they can feel quite overwhelming. But if you can go to that part of you, you know, it's kind of almost like, it's going to sound really cliched, but it's almost like becoming your own, be- if we were best friends in the real world and you came to me and you were in a state of despair, yeah. as your friend, my goal would be, I'm going to help you out. Yes. What do you need? Let's just yes. take it easy. You know, let's just, just, let's just deal with now. And you would respond well to that and vice versa if it were happening to me. But here's the really interesting thing is when we're responding to ourselves in that way, we immediately judge it. Why am I feeling this way? I'm pathetic, I'm a loser, mm. I shouldn't be feeling this way, other people are doing great, why, why aren't I coping better? So what we do with the emotion is we not only try to push it down immediately, but we then attack the emotion and we judge it yes. and we shame it. And of course, what does that do? It makes things feel even worse than they already are. Mm. So it's about really, really learning to, to, you know, to get to know these parts of you and be okay with all of them. Absolutely. Particularly the ones that are not perfect or the ones that you're not going to put on Instagram um, because these there's where your strength is. And I yes. think that's the biggest travesty when I see people not using those parts of them. I think what's really tough for me is I often hear people talking about, and this is talking about men specifically. Well, you know, he doesn't talk much because he's a guy. And, you know, he's not really emotional because he's a guy. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, my son, you know, it's just normal that he doesn't speak about his feelings. And, you know, he's a boy. Yeah. And and girls are different, Shivani. And people have always told me that my whole life. You know, mm. you speak about your emotions. You talk emotionally. Since I was young, I've always had a lot of emotional intelligence. And I'd always pick up in my family when something was wrong. And mm. I'd always pick up when someone was upset. And my brother, on the other hand, has been someone who's very closed and kind of fallen, we've both fallen into that stereotypical trap, yeah, right? Yeah, girls yeah. speak and guys don't. And there's that book, which I don't really like at all. Men are from Mars and women yeah, are from yeah, Venus. Yeah. Of course, it was written in like the 1800s. And, <laughs> you know, it really puts people in these boxes. And then, and the thing that I find most annoying is we are still pushing this narrative on men and women. Yeah. You know, men don't speak about their feelings. And if they do, it's very abnormal you know men aren't going to be really caring or emotional and what I think the problem in that is is there are some men who really want to speak about their feelings and they are pushed this constant narrative and hearing somebody say oh he doesn't talk that much but that's okay he's a guy it's okay it almost reinforces that mentality and that mindset for them to feel if I speak about my feelings I am different and we are all social characters we all want to feel like we are the same as everyone else Mm. obviously now there's a different narrative be different be you but generally no one wants to feel that they're an anomaly and so for me it's really difficult to see this and I think you know that's why in you know men between the ages of 40 and 49 have the highest suicide rate and are three times as more likely to make a suicide than women yeah and I really do think that is because men are fed this narrative that if yeah. they speak up, yeah. if they share their emotion, if they cry, if they speak about how they are feeling, yeah. it's looked down upon. I mean, it's look, it, it, it's an enormous topic, isn't it? And it's, yes. there, there's a load of stuff out there on it. I mean, I think, you know, I think there are differences between men and women and how they process and how they approach life. And I think that that's always been the case. But I agree with you in that. We are human beings and we have a brain in our head. Exactly. And we experience life and we experience emotion. And I think this narrative about men not talking and, you know, stiff upper lip, get on with it, boys mm-hmm. don't cry. I mean, there's 101 cliches. So many. It, it's getting better. I mean, I, I did um, Jay Comfrey's and when Damien Hughes' podcast recently on high performance, and they have a huge male audience. And that was an incredible conversation talking about the importance of you know, men's mental health and, yes. and really encouraging men particularly to talk. But here's a really interesting thing. It's not just about talking because I think talking is only one aspect of better mental well-being. Okay. Because w- when we talk, it's a, it's a brilliant 
way to start. You know, if, if we start to name the difficulties and if we start to to bring them out into the open, mm-hmm. it's a really positive step forward. Mm-hmm. But good therapy or good proactive change isn't just about talking. Because here's a, here's a this is slightly controversial, but bear with me for a second. Sometimes there's a difficulty when we encourage people to begin talking. They can fall into trap. If we think about depression, for example, yes. if people start to ruminate and talk and go over the same stuff over yeah, and yes. over and over again, actually it keeps them stuck. If people are highly anxious and they talk and they talk and they talk about their worries about the future, and we, we kind of collude with that, they, they remain anxious. So I think the narrative around talking, we have to really think carefully about. Talking is a great thing. Yes. But it has to be talking that's structured and organized in a way that's going to help the person, not in a way. Look, as a therapist, I supervise therapists and, you know, I've been around the block a few times now. And, and I think I, I understand what makes good therapy. Yeah. I also understand what makes bad therapy. Okay. And I think very often just talking for the sake of talking you know, in my experience, doesn't achieve much. Oh, my God. I feel like I just want to jump up and you can see I'm smiling every minute. It it it, it can very often keep people stuck. So I am 100% about encouraging people to talk yes. and make those initial steps. But change is not just about talking. It's about how you manage your mind. Yes. It's about how you deal with your emotions. It's about the people you surround yourself with. It's the choices that you make in your life. It's about digging deep. It's about courage. It's about taking risk. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, it, it's about really and truly learning to respect and value yourself. So good therapy isn't just a conversation. It is a complete overhaul yes. of your life. And for me, I try not to differentiate too much about whether it's male or female. Okay. I'm more interested in humanity. Yes. We are human beings. Yeah. I'm also less interested in pathologizing people about... Do they have a mental health diagnosis? I mean, look, there are times when it's important. If somebody's got a really acute mental health problem, there are moments when it's really important Mm -hmm. to have a diagnosis because it might be that the person needs medication alongside a talking therapy Mm -hmm. and other treatments. But there are other times when it can be a case of, well, actually, is pathologizing someone going to help them? Because as a human being, no matter who you are, Mm -hmm. there will be periods in your life when you're going to be anxious, maybe more than normal. There are going to be periods when you may be a bit flat or demotivated yep. or feeling a bit lost. Mm-hmm. And that, that doesn't mean that you have a mental health disorder. Mm-hmm. It means that you're, you're a human being who's struggling. Right. And I think we have to get much better at differentiating the difference between mental health disorders, which are diagnostic, right. measured against actually everyday mental wellness. And I think I said this to you just before we started recording. I mean, the mental health hashtag is being... You know, it's I think it's been overused at the moment. Okay. Everything's hashtag mental health. And at one level, it's great that we're opening up the conversations. I think it's incredible that conversations are coming from everywhere around mental health where I do struggle. And I say this as a mental health professional is I struggle when I see the mental health hashtag being used as a brand or as a means of growth mm-hmm. or as a means of getting more followers or as a, whatever the context might be. Yes. Because when you see acute mental health or when you're treating somebody who is acutely unwell, it's not a sexy hashtag. No. It's not at all. And I think we have to get much better at differentiating that having a bad day yes. or going through a tough time does not mean that you have a mental health disorder. Yes. It means that you're a human being who might be struggling with aspects of their mental wellness. But I think we have to really start differentiating more because my concern is that if we start labeling everything mental health, what we actually do is we dilute the importance of people who really do need help and support. And it just almost becomes a cliched, you know, like a cliched term that we bandy around Mm -hmm. too casually. So for me, I'm generally more interested in mental well-being. Right. Our own mental wellness, our own humanity, right. our own struggle as people. But I'm also very, very aware that sometimes uh, that does step over into other parameters where people might need an intervention or support or medication. And that's absolutely fine. But how do you distinguish those people for who are just going through normal daily problems and they're really suffering? Yeah. To then when they actually need some professional it's help. It's a good question. I mean, I think for me, it's always about when I'm when I'm working with somebody and I'm assessing them it's always about okay well are you functioning day to day 
Mm. You know, are you getting up? Are you going to work? Okay. Are you communicating well? Are you socializing? Are you connecting with people? Are you getting joy from life? Are you still able to enjoy? Right. And if people are answering yes to most of that and, and they're functioning well, well, chances are, you know, they're, they're doing pretty okay. It doesn't mean that they're not having a tough time. If, on the other hand, I meet somebody and they say, I'm having more bad days than good days. Right. I don't want to see people. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to work. I'm really struggling to function every day. Then you move into a different parameter. And at that point, it may be, okay, well, maybe there is something going on at the moment. Maybe it is an episodic depression. Maybe it is a period of low mood. Maybe there is underlying trauma mm. that needs resolving. It just, it, I mean, it's very much dependent on the individual. And that's where a good assessment and a professional opinion can be helpful. Yeah. But I think, you know, it's about... You know, I say to everyone I talk to, you know, do the things that help. Mm. If you know that getting out and getting to the gym and seeing people and, you know, surrounding yourself with the right people and and keeping an eye on the way you're thinking, all of these stuff, all the things I talk about in the book, you know, give this stuff a try. Yes. And if it improves your life and you start to feel better, then you know that you've got way more power than you realize. You can make changes in your life. If none of that stuff's working and you're you're still really struggling and you're still stuck, then of course get help. Yes. And, and, and you know because help is out there and there are some brilliant people out there who can provide help and support. And the key thing is, you know, whatever's going on today, no matter how awful that is or no, no matter how awful that feels, it can and it does get better. Yes. And I say that to everyone, no, regardless of how terrible it might feel today. Mm-hmm. You know, there is a possibility that this can be significantly better than it is. Mm-hmm. But it just means that you're going to have to dig deep and you're going to have to be courageous and you're going to have to be willing to hold responsibility yeah. for the fact that no one is going to fix it for you. There isn't a single therapist on the planet. There isn't a single medication on the planet that's going to make it all better for you. Mm. It's going to involve you kind of taking a really honest look at yourself in the mirror and thinking, okay, I've got work to do, but that's absolutely fine. I think I also agree with you on your previous point around there's a difference between mental illness and mental wellness. I think the risk in that is often people, like you said, associate shame, guilt, fear to those emotions. And by this narrative of not everybody suffers with it, some people will think it's normal I'm feeling like this. And what we do is we risk those people kind of actually getting help because they think, well, this feeling is normal. And then it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And Mm. then they do need professional help. At what point do you think we need to start to really evaluate if something is dramatically wrong? Because like you said, everyone goes through a bad day. Everyone goes through a bad mood. And we are filled on Instagram with cold showers, runs, gyms, meditation, and good sleep will cure everything for you. Right? Everyone yeah. I speak to says, oh, I have yeah. a culture at 5 a.m. Yeah, 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 and yeah, I go yeah. for a run and I go to the gym and I drink my five gallons of water every day. Well, that's amazing. But for a lot of people, these these things don't work. Absolutely. I mean, and, and it's a brilliant point you're making because if you've got a severe clinical episode of depression, these things may help slightly, but you're going to need more than that. Yeah. If you're in a, an acute episode of anxiety, if you've got PTSD, if you have a severe episode of OCD, all of these mental health disorders I could talk about, of course, you may need more intervention and support. And I guess really the, the, the best parameter for me, it's difficult to talk about all of them, of but it, it is about, look, if your daily functioning most days is a struggle, mm-hmm. get help. Okay. If most of the time you're, you're, you're getting on and you're managing and actually you can get on with all of your everyday stuff and you're finding joy and enjoyment in a lot of what you do, well, then chances are these these down moments probably can be managed independently. Whereas actually, if you're not, if every day feels like it's a burden and it's too difficult to manage and it's overwhelming, unquestionably step forward and seek help. There's a huge difference. And I think only the individual can make that. And, And your point about shame is a really, really important one because you mentioned earlier about physical health. And I think, you know, our minds, like every other part of the body, can become tired. Yes. They can become depleted. Sometimes our minds have been fed information that's not helpful. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that there is anything wrong with you if you're going through a tough time. Right. Or even if you do have a diagnostic mental health problem, there, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. 
It just means that perhaps a part of your body needs a little bit of support and help. Just a bit like if you had a kidney problem or a heart problem or something going on in your body, you would go along and you'd get help. If you go through a period in your life when your brain isn't functioning the way you need it to, you've got to think about these neural pathways that fire out and how they fire and how they interact. Sometimes it needs an adjustment. Sometimes it needs a tweak. Sometimes it needs resetting. Right. That's absolutely okay. Mm-hmm. Now, the symptoms that come with it can feel really difficult, but actually when then you segregate and think, okay, well, maybe my brain isn't functioning the way I need it to. Mm-hmm. Maybe getting help is a good idea. It's no more complicated than that. You're trying to get your brain to work for you rather than work against you. Seeing as we're talking about the importance of mental wellness, I just wanted to jump in here and tell you about my new sponsor, Heights. Now, I've been taking these smart supplements for about five weeks now, but I really started to notice the difference after week two. I was incredibly burnt out, I was incredibly exhausted, and I just couldn't focus. I've also been someone who wakes up about four or five times in her sleep, and since taking these supplements, I've managed to sleep throughout the whole night, which has made such a difference with my energy levels the next day. I don't think brain care is talked about enough because so many of us neglect our brains, and we don't realize that it actually impacts our overall health. I even travel with my supplements because I've just got into the routine of taking them every morning now. I take them with some water. And the great thing about these supplements is that they're vegan. And because I'm vegetarian, I've always avoided omega-3s. I've always avoided fish oil and I've always avoided taking any kind of supplements because I always find them quite fishy. I find Heights really, really easy to take. And the great thing about them is that they contain 20 high quality minerals, antioxidants and vitamins in just these two pills. The ingredients have been chosen and formulated to manage your overall immune system your nervous system and your overall health and for today Heights are giving all of my listeners 15% off their first subscription by using the code millennial just remember it's two L's and two N's and let me know what you think make sure you tag me in your posts and let me know if Heights is helping you too back to the podcast I think so many of us do complicate it, don't we? And I think we can do. Yeah, and I think, you know, you talk about this a lot in your book. It's simple tools for a better life. Now, when someone is struggling, let's say you're feeling really anxious and you're feeling really low, what's one of the things you advise people to do straight away? I mean, look, you've got all you, all of your basic self-care stuff, which are, you know, all the sleep hygiene, uh-huh. good, good food. I mean, good food. And there's a lot of really interesting stuff around the food we put into your body because yes. lots of foods are inflammatory. Right. If you think of the mechanism of depression and anxiety, mm-hmm. it's an inflammatory process. Right. So if you think about the food you put into your body, it's really important that, you know, eating a good diet is going to be a contributory factor into feeling better. Definitely. Every piece of research on exercise, depending on what you're able to do, indicates that actually, you know, look, it does have a positive impact in serotonin reuptake. So all of these self-care measures are are helpful and useful. But for me, I think there are a couple of real, you know, earlier points. Before you go near any of the self-care stuff, I think it's about three things, really, for me. I -hmm. think it's about the ability to stand back and think, okay, how do I approach my life when it doesn't go the way I want it to. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing I look at. Second thing I look at is, okay, how do I relate to what goes on in my mind? Mm. And the third thing I talk about is how do I deal with my emotions? Right. Now, here's a really interesting part of all of this work. Most people when who are going through a tough time, when you break this down and you're working with them and you say, okay, how do you respond to life when it doesn't go to plan right. or it doesn't go the way you want it? Most people will say, I got really angry, I got really upset. And then you start to explore it with them and you hear, oh, it shouldn't be happening. This is terrible. This is awful. And you then pull them back a bit and you say, what what do you think it would be like to just start working with life? Mm -hmm. Maybe sometimes life isn't meant to go the way you want it to. No no one ever gives us a guarantee that that's how it was going to be. So that that ability to kind of start working with life. Yeah. Okay, this is not ideal. It's not what I would have choose, chosen. I'm, I'm really upset that I failed this exam. I'm really upset that I've split up with my partner, whatever the context might be. But actually, rather than resist it, I'm going to work with it. Mm. And that in itself could be an incredible because if we're resisting life the whole time, yes. then literally we tie ourselves up in knots. So it's the ability to, you know, it's literally like, you know, it's like watching a, a river flow. It's yes. the ability to say, okay, sometimes I need to learn more and more to work with life rather than work against it. And I think it's also about, you know, how are you managing the content of your mind? Mm-hmm. You know, how do you, people often talk about changing your thoughts. I don't believe in that. You cannot change your thoughts. What you can change is how you relate to your thoughts. 
Wow, okay. It's a huge difference because if I said to you, oh, Shivani, you're having a really tough day, this is what you need to think. Yeah. You're not going to buy it. Why? You're not going to buy it. Whereas if you said to me, oh, I'm having these really difficult thoughts like I'm rubbish, I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. My question to you would be, is, well, how are you relating to those thoughts? Where's the evidence that's true? When you say that, I remember when in my therapy session, yeah. um, I went to my therapist and I was going through a really tough relationship. And I went one day and I was so upset and I said, you know, he said this and he said this and mm. he said this and I'm just so upset. And he said, okay, how many other people have said that to you? Mm. And I said, well, what do you mean? Obviously no one else has said it to yeah. me. And he was like, so why do you think that about yourself? Yeah. And I was like, because someone I love is telling me that I'm these things. And he was like, where's the evidence? Yeah. Tell me why. And it was that. And in that moment, I remember thinking, if one person says something about me, I do not have to tell myself yeah. that is me. Yeah, yeah. If 500 people are telling me something about me, or let's be more realistic, two or three are people telling me something, then maybe there's a little bit of truth in that. Yeah. And there's something for me to work on. But so many of us become abs- absorbed in what one person says to us. And one negative comment on Instagram can mm. absorb your thoughts. Of course it can. 20 positive com- comments on Instagram, you're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But it, it, it's an, yeah, it's an incredible point you're making. And I think it's also about the, it's a realization of that all of these thoughts are going on in our minds every single day. And there are hundred, you know, you've got about 80,000 thoughts a day. You know, neuroscientists measure these and we know that we've got a lot of thoughts every day. About 60 to 70% are negative in nature. Wow. Um, which is a lot of thought to be yes. carrying around. But it's how you relate to the thoughts. So, for example, if the thoughts come in, oh, you're rubbish, you're not good enough, you're too big, you're too small, you're too this, you're too that, whatever the context may be. It's almost learning to think this is just a pattern. It's an old script that plays out over and over and over again. And it's almost about getting to that point where you almost get bored listening to it. It's like, blah, 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 here it goes again. And then you just get familiar with your patterns and you learn that great skill of just identifying it's just a thought. Yeah. So it's about how you learn to work with the mind, not taking it all as factual, not taking it as a gospel truth. Mm-hmm. It's about actually, this is just how the human mind operates. A fear-driven, anxiety-driven mind will create a lot of stories and a lot of narratives. But that doesn't mean that they're true. I mean, believe it or not, there's a lot of, a lot of rubbish in our, yes. our head a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and people find that difficult to take but actually that is the truth there's a lot of our minds are incredible our minds can do incredible things right and can create things and we can do the most uh, you know you know we write books people you know build aircrafts people design buildings i mean the human mind is an incredible thing but when it's in fear mode it can also create the most incredible Mm. fake narratives that we listen to so it's about learning hard to to relate to your thoughts and learning to, to, to almost respond to them in a very, very different way. It's almost kind of like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disengage. A difficulty I've been having recently is the more self-aware I've become, the more conscious I have become of everything. And I felt like, feel like when I was younger, I was very emotionally intelligent. Mm. And now I'm reading a lot and I'm speaking to all these amazing people. And I'm just so conscious of everything that I'm doing because I'm so aware. And the problem with that is I feel incredibly guilty a lot of the time and often I feel like the more you know the more anxious and the more scared and the more fearful you become and what are you what are you conscious of the way that I present myself and what what's the problem with that I think often I think I shouldn't have said that or that person looked at me in a funny way which meant that they could have felt a little bit offended or you know they didn't respond in a positive way so maybe they didn't enjoy it okay and sometimes when I'm off, this happens all the time when I drink, whenever I drink and I go to a social gathering, yeah. the next day I wake up and I'm like, oh my God, I said this wrong. Yeah. I said this wrong. I self- said this yeah. wrong. And I'm like, you're so self-critical. No yeah. one cares. Yeah. I always say this to myself, literally no one cares about you to, to care about all these tiny little things yeah. that you're saying. But I think because I've become more self-aware and more conscious around other people's feelings, and I'm very much about making other people feel happy as well. Yeah. I feel very, very, very guilty. Yeah. I mean, you're describing a couple of things are which I think a lot of people will identify with. I mean, we do socially monitor sometimes. Mm. What did that mean? What did they think? Yes. But actually, what does it matter what they think? You know, if you're coming from a place of truth and honesty, it, it genuinely doesn't matter. I think very often we do a thing called cognitive misinterpretation. Right. And it can be that, you know, someone looks at you in a funny way 
or they mm. respond in a different way. And of course, the human mind, depending on what your particular patterns are, will make a judgment and the surgeon and think, okay, that must mean yes. that they didn't like me or they yeah. didn't like what I said. The reality is most of the time, and again, this is evident, you know, this is evidence-driven research, most of the time, it, it means nothing. Yeah. It's a cognitive misinterpretation. You know, it's like that classic one, you wave at someone in the street, <laughs> you know, they don't, you know, they ignore you, they don't wave back, and suddenly the mind creates a story, oh my God, they don't like you, and why did they ignore me? Oh, why, why did that happen? It must have been something I said. So then suddenly we've got war and peace, we've got an entire novel, yes around why the person ignored you you meet them two days later and you say oh i saw you the other day and you ignored me and they say oh my god i'm really sorry i was rushing to pick my husband up and i genuinely didn't see you yeah. or actually i did see you i was in a really bad place and i was really upset and i couldn't stop so often the interpretations we make mm. are false and misinformed but actually if they're driven by patterns of insecurity self-doubt not trusting yourself yes I think that is a key thing for, for all of us, really, as a human being. Just just trust who, you know, trust yourself a little bit more. It doesn't matter. I mean, genuinely, if someone doesn't like you or they don't respond the way you want to, that's absolutely OK. It's OK for some people not to like us. It's OK for some people to not agree with us. You know, mm -hmm. it's about getting really comfortable, not in an arrogant way. Yeah. It's just about really getting comfortable in your own skin to think, do you know something? All I can, I mean, I'm I'm a lot older than you and I guess one of the, the joys of getting older is I think you do move into that position where you think, do you know something? All I can deliver, mm -hmm. whatever I do in my life, whether it's writing a book, doing a talk, doing a podcast, doing a TV interview, whatever the context is, all I can deliver is myself. Yeah what I know, mm -hmm. my story, my truth, you know, that's all I can do. And if that's not enough, then there's zero I can do about that. 100%. And there's something incredible about getting to that place of comfort where it's like, actually, it doesn't matter. Yes. I have nothing to prove, mm -hmm. you know, I, it doesn't matter. And I think there you get to a real point of comfort and ease because then it's about, it's about really trusting yourself. No, it doesn't mean that I won't hear opinions or I won't yeah. take advice or whatever the context may be, but it just means that I'm not living my life driven by People. thoughts, opinions, he said, she said, what did that mean? And that takes work. So I think, you know, self-awareness is an incredible thing mm. and it's an amazing thing to have. But I also believe that self-trust is way more important. I love that. And self-love is also another yeah. term that yeah. people talk about a lot and it's one you talk about in your book, right? Yeah. Talk to me about how you think people who are struggling at home with loving themselves and they're struggling with their confidence. Yeah. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I mean, this, this is a really interesting one. And it was good that you were talking about blokes earlier, because the minute we start talking about self-love, mm -hmm. that's when a bloke's likely. And I'm, say, I, I'm saying this is a guy. I think, God, this guy's going to start talking about self-love now. I'm gone. Right. Because it, it almost falls into the self-help, cliched, ethereal space people think oh self-love that's a bit indulgent that's yeah. a bit and i think it's a it's a concept that's very often misunderstood and for me it's about when you break it all down it really is about you know the self-acceptance of all of the parts of you right all of the parts of you so for me it's about um look there there are aspects of you know you as a human being you've got your strengths your things that you can do brilliantly you're confident you do a podcast you've got all these skills and abilities okay There'll be other parts of you that you don't feel so great about, but actually yeah. they're they're not a they're not the opposite. They're not they they don't defend you differently. There may be vulnerabilities, or mm. maybe insecurities, or maybe parts of you, but actually they're all parts of you. Right. And I think for all of us, it's about almost I I see it almost like lining them all up as podiums and think, okay, here's a part of me that's strong, independent, mm. intelligent, sociable, mm. blah blah blah. Here's a part of me that's vulnerable, yes. sometimes a bit insecure, sometimes a bit fearful, mm -hmm. but they're all part of me. And I yes. think when you talk about self-love as a concept, I think when people don't love themselves for want of an expression, it's when they latch on to, okay, I'll, I'll love myself when things are going well. Yes. When I'm achieving, when I'm mm -hmm. succeeding, when I'm in love, that but I'm actually amazing, yeah. when I'm on the other side of the coin, I'm going to, I'm going to 
I'm not going to go near myself. We wouldn't do that to another person. No. The people we love in our own lives, doesn't matter what's going on for them, the people we care about, whether they're up or down or successful or failing, whatever the context might be, we're just there alongside them because mm-hmm. we care about them. It doesn't matter. And I think if we strip away all the cliches around self-love, it's about think of the person you love and care about most in your life. Apply that to yourself yeah. and you won't go too far wrong. So true. Because you're then placing all of those. And that then becomes really challenging because, mm. you know, I say this all the time. Most of us wouldn't speak to another person. Never. The way we speak to yourselves. Never. And I, and I love what you said because I remember me and my boyfriend went out with our friends. And the next morning I woke up and I said, God, I was so loud last night. And he was like, and I said, was I really loud? And he said, yeah. And I said, oh, God. And he said, why are you saying that? Yeah. And I said, because it's so embarrassing. And he was like, what's embarrassing? And I said, because I was really loud and I was really talking so much. And he was like, but you are loud yeah. and you are talkative, yeah. Shivani. And that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. That's what makes you yeah. you. Yeah. And I'd never heard anyone say that to me before. Yeah. Well, who's, who's judging it? Who judged the loudness? Right. It was me. You. No one said to me, you're being too loud. Yeah. No one said you're talking too yeah, much. Yeah. People like me to be at a party and to be loud yeah. and talk too much. And I remember that day thinking, wow, that is so true. Yeah, yeah. Because my whole life I always thought I was too loud or I talk too much. Yeah. And I probably do talk too much. That's why I have a podcast. It's an excuse <laughs> for me. But it's so interesting that when he told me that, I was so shocked at that to think, yeah, this is a characteristic I have and I shouldn't be ashamed of it. Of course you shouldn't. And, you know, look, if, you, if you're talkative and you're sociable and you're doing your podcast, you're doing a podcast that's reaching loads of people and helping mm. and supporting them. So actually it's your gift. It's not yes. a, it's not a deficit. Yeah. And it's so interesting. We, we associate negative things and we say we're, we're not those things. Like when I was younger, everyone used to say I'm too sensitive. And I always have been very sensitive because I'm very empathetic. I'm an empath. And so I, when I was younger, I used to think I used to hide my emotions. I didn't used to cry in front of people all the time because mm. I'd be like, everyone thinks you're too, too, too sensitive. And now when I get really emotional about something really silly, I'm like, I am sensitive and it's a good thing because I'm empathetic. Yeah. And I reframe that thought into yeah. my mind. Yeah. And one of the things I wanted to ask you was, how do we reframe our thinking? It's a good point. I mean, there, there's a difference between changing your thinking, you know, mm, like, you know, yes. these kind of say affirmations, yeah. you know, just replace it with a different thought. I think it's about the recognition of, okay, you know, you need to get to know your mind. I think this mm. is a really, really important thing. You know, you know, almost kind of got to get to know how your patterns play out and how your thoughts play out. Yes. And I think for me, it's not just about how you reframe thinking. So, for example, I'll give you a really basic example. Um, you're, you're doing your exams or whatever, okay, mm-hmm. and you, you want an A. Yeah. You get a B. Mm-hmm. And the human mind kicks in and then the human mind starts to say, well, that wasn't good enough someone else got an A, da, 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 and suddenly you then think, okay, I want to reframe that thought. So okay. reframing that thought might be, okay, well, it wasn't what I wanted, but a B still a really good grade. I'm proud of that and I'm going to celebrate that. So that would be reframing the thought, okay? Okay. Now, here's where it gets really, really interesting. So I could be working with a client and I could say, okay, so your thought is, I didn't get an A, I'm a failure, other people are better than me. Mm-hmm. That's what your thought pattern is at the moment. So we're going to reframe that to actually I did my best. A B is still a great grade and I'm going to celebrate and be proud of what that is. OK, so someone might say, OK, I'm going to I'm going to do that and then still have this feeling of disappointment or failure. Yes. Now, here's where it gets really interesting for me. It's not ju- not just about how you reframe a thought. It's also about what is your tone towards yourself? Because that is everything to me, because I, you could just say those words. OK, well, I just got to be and it's OK. But if you're saying that with contempt and disrespect mm-hmm. and still undermining yourself in the internal tone, then it's going to have zero impact. It just becomes language. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, it's about, OK, reframe the language and always be mindful of how you talk about yourself and how you address yourself, but also be very, very clear about, OK, how is my tone towards myself? Mm. Can I go to this part of me that's disappointed and truly say to it, you know, it's all right. Mm. You did do your best. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter that you didn't get the A that you wanted. It doesn't matter what other someone else got because their journey is going to be different at a different point in life. And this is all right. So it's really that softness and, you know, kind of what's the best way to put this really? 
it's like you know if, if you were having a tough day and I brought you out and I and you know and I give you a load of cliches and, right. and a load of statements you would feel that as just as a cliche and a statement whereas if I sit down with you and you don't want to talk and we just sit in silence for half an hour and I just say okay we can sit here for a bit until things feel a bit easier you'll feel that yes because the tone towards you is compassionate yes and it's kind and there's no judgment and there's no rush yeah. and I think it's about our tone towards how we reframe our thoughts is really important and that for me ultimately is about it's about self-compassion yeah I mean your book has so many so many chapters in it and loads of exercises which I love and mm. earlier when we were talking about therapy it's not just about talking for me it's about action and I don't know if that's the right way to do, to do therapy, but the first therapist I went to, he would say to me at the end of it, okay, what are the three actions you're gonna take away? Yeah, yeah. And I loved him. And then I've had other therapists who just say, talk. And I'm like, oh my God, this is torture. Like, tell me a theory, tell me an action, tell me what I should be doing. They're like, we're not allowed to tell you. And I'm like, oh, this is a nightmare. But I'm, I'm really looking forward to going through it and doing all of the exercises. But before we close, I always ask a truth or dare to all, to all of my guests. Truth or dare? Let's go for a truth. What was one of the hardest moments where you've had a client and you felt that you either couldn't help them or you felt like you wanted to interject? It's a good question. I mean, occasionally you, you get a client who doesn't want to be helped. It happens. Okay. And I think probably one of the most... I mean, our memories just come up straight away, so I'm going to just talk about that. Obviously, you can never reveal details of the, the individual, but I can remember having a client who came and he had had a terribly difficult time in his life. He had lost a lot of money. Um, he had got into debt. His business fell apart. He lost his family. It was, it was hideous, actually, and his ex-wife brought him to therapy and literally she had to bring him to the door. Wow. He was clinically depressed to the point he could barely get out of bed. And this guy came in and sat down in the room. And when he first started to talk to me, he was he was hostile mm. and he was confrontational. And he was really abusive about therapists. I was working in the NHS at the time and he said, oh, I think what you guys do is bullshit. Um, I'm not going to sit here. He said, I'm going to sit here for the hour, do what you need to do. He said, but I'm only here because she wants me to be here, do what you've got to do. So anyway, I sort of allowed him just right. went with my instinct and I allowed him just to do it. I let him rant, yeah. did he was going to do. And then interestingly, he finished the session and I said, would you like to come back next week? And he said, um, oh, yeah, some chance. And I said, OK, I'll leave it up to you. Interestingly, he came back the next week, which really surprised me. And then he did another week of, you know, being quite abusive. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm only here. I'm just going through the motions, blah, blah, blah. And I let him do that for another session. And then I remember it was a really difficult moment in therapy because I knew I was taking a risk and I had right. to stop him. And I said to him, you know, look, I appreciate things are difficult for you. Um, I can see you're really struggling as a human being. And I said, but at some point you're going to have to make a decision whether you want help and whether you want me to help you. And I said, I'm not prepared to sit here week on week mm -hmm. doing what we're doing. And I said, so here's the deal. You go today. And if you decide that you're going to come back and do more of this, I don't want to see you again. Find someone else who's going to do that. Um, if you are willing to at least be open to possibilities, then come back. And I knew in that moment, therapeutically, it was a risk. Yes. And there's always, and as therapists sometimes, you know, I'm not a fluffy therapist. Right. I, uh, I just think, I mean, like, it, it depends, you know, I, you know, empathy, care, compassion, all of that are a huge part of the work. They are. But sometimes... Therapy isn't, you know, if you're in therapy and it feels lovely and it feels nice and wonderful all the time, you're not in good therapy. No. Because therapy is uncomfortable. Mm. Therapy, you know, therapy is kind of getting to grips with who you are. It can feel like your life's been turned upside down because you're you're reshaping right. your values and how you live. And so, of course, that's going to feel destabilizing. And that's exactly how it should feel. Right. Not in a way that overwhelms you, but it should feel uncomfortable. uncomfortable yeah. Because you've been challenged, but in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes as therapists, you're 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 placed into these moments where you have to take a risk. OK, because the, the you know, the deal is that if you allow people to continue doing what they're doing, then actually you're not going to help them. So sometimes you have to take. So I, that, that particular moment, I can remember when he left the room mm -hmm. feeling a sense of, oh, God, I hope he comes back because I knew I could help him. Right. 
But I also knew that I had to take the risk of him not coming back mm. because something needed to shift. I think sometimes there are those moments when you have to be brave and courageous. He came back. He came back. And wow. he did incredible. I mean, it, it was work. It was a lot of work, but he did incredible. And he started to reclaim his life and find hope again and rebuild and look at what happened. And I think sometimes, you know, yeah, being a therapist is, is an incredible job. It's incredibly liberating and um, it's a most incredible privilege to watch people's lives transform and being so part of that. But, you know, like every job, it has you're hearing life at its worst yes. some of the time and that's difficult. But yeah, yeah, more than often, it's it, it's a privilege more than anything, certainly for me. Absolutely. And, and you know, I I get messages sometimes and I feel like they're they're the things that keep me going to say you've helped me so much. Absolutely. Someone messaged me yesterday saying going through the lowest point in my life at the moment and listening to your podcast every day just helps me go and keep going. There you go. And I got tears in my eyes because I just thought. My God, like yeah, the helping someone and having an impact on their life. Absolutely. There's no better feeling. And if that's all it achieved, and of course it won't. It'll exactly. Be, but actually, you know, I said when I wrote my, my first book, if 10 people pick up this book and it helps them, I've done my job. And I really meant that at the time. And I think when you stay with that premise of whatever you do in life, I think when you stay true to your values and when you show up and you do what's right for you, then it all works out. I think when we get distracted by numbers, 100%. how successful is it? This is what is somebody viral. else is doing? Yeah. What is their podcast doing? What are their yeah. when you start to fall into that trap, then suddenly the entire experience it loses its yeah. joy. Whereas actually, I think if the meaning of your podcast is to reach people who might be struggling yeah. and give them hope, yeah. and you stay with that principle and you stay with that foundation. It'll be absolutely fine and it will find its way. Definitely. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. I completely agree with you. And I think so many of us, when we're going through something, feel alone. Yeah. And when you hear someone yeah. going through it, yeah. you know there's a way out. Yeah. And that really is the purpose of it. Yeah. So thank you so much for coming today. Thank you. It's been story. great. I've loved chatting to you. Thank you. And I can't wait to read your book. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, everyone. And thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Wherever you're listening or watching, if you could press the like, follow and subscribe button, it would mean the world to me.